You're listening to Noise Extra. I'm Gray Holger, here with my co-host Tara Connolly. Hello. And Mike Connolly. Hello. And our guest, uh, either taking the title of or tied for our most guested guest at this point, is Shane English. Ooh, hello everyone. Do I get a coat? (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Yes. I will make it for you out of paper mache. (laughs) It will be very comfortable. Thanks for having me, guys. Hey, thanks for coming back on. You're you're always suggesting great records and things to listen to and check out. And we're constantly sort of talking or keeping stuff in mind about doing episodes with you. And and this one, uh, man, what a cool record you brought us that is just a total mystery to the three of us. And I think probably to a lot of other people, you've got it sitting behind you. So uh, it just it looks awesome sitting there. Yeah, this might be the absolute most obscure thing that we've Mm -hmm. covered. I know 500 were made based on what you gave us to read, but I I, do you think more than 100 were disseminated into the world? I truly believe that it was far less than that. I -hmm. think that uh, the former member that had it pressed, he kept 50 and his family kept the rest and they never did anything with it. And from what I understand, he didn't really even give that many of his copies out either so it's a complete just like anomaly that i have the record (laughs) it's by far the rarest thing in my collection and it's truly like my pride and joy for sure wow and that record being nsi m plays havoc a french album from 1989 and yeah it's this is Exciting, new to all of us, and can't wait to dig in. But of course, before we dig in, we have to talk about some recent listening. Shane, what have you been listening to? All right, I got a couple for you. Um, I decided to go with a couple things that were like completely new to me um, that I've found in the last couple of months. I haven't got physical copies of a couple of these. This is these straight internet archive finds, but really cool stuff. I pretty much spend hours and hours of my week on Discogs, <laughs> as you might imagine, <laughs> just deep diving. And I'll search want list. I'll find someone that I know is a deep head collector of industrial. Then I'll go through their want list and like sort it by year and just <laughs> click and then click on anything that looks unfamiliar to me and add it to my want list and then do further <laughs> research from there. I love it. <laughs> One of the want lists I was uh, surfing was, are you guys familiar with the project uh, Hypnobeat? They kind of did a, I think they did a retrospective on dark entries not long ago. I don't think so. <laughs> but it's really cool, like proto-techno, like 808, like industrial stuff, pretty unknown. But I'm on the main guy from Hypnobeat's want list, just like going through it like crazy because he has the most rare crazy stuff in his want list. And this was one of them. It's a uh, architectus de ruidos, the noise architects. And it's a 1989, 50 copy thing kind of deal, just distributed to friends. And they're from Chile. And it's like, I think the closest thing I could compare it to would be like um, mid late eighties deform. Okay. It's like <laughs> really just, my favorite kind of stuff, minimal rhythm box, drum machines has a lot of what seems like early sampler kind of phrases going on. And then short delayed 
vocals. It's a man and a woman duo. Really killer, like 18 song C50. Is it uh, sort of like busted electro style, like Deform 2? Exactly. It it goes kind of, it's pretty varied. Like the best tracks are that busted electro sound. It's it's not quite dancey, but it's definitely like driving, drum machine, monotone, bass line synth, not doing a lot of notes in cool claustrophobic vocals and it just blew me away and this is one of my favorite things that happens when i find a tape like this on discogs the j card art is incredible it's like what is this i'm never going to be able to hear it then i'll type it into google they just uploaded it to Bandcamp. <laughs> there you but go that's the reason why i got to hear it and it's just fantastic it's like a snowball's chance in hell that anyone's probably going to ever get that. Well, you never know, but it is fully on Bandcamp, and that's one of my favorite things I've found in recent months. All right, moving on. Uh, wrong, wrong. That's R O N G, W R O N G. One word. It's like a Dada's term. This is killer. I just kind of found this recently too. This is like an industrial group from Poland in the early 90s. Their first couple, I got the first three releases by them this year. The first couple releases are like very like Neubauden, SBK indebted, all live recordings, heavy metal percussion, like political ranting kind of stuff. Just really good, traditional early industrial, really kind of out of place for 1993. It sounds very 80s. And then they have a final cassette from 94 that like completely changes gears and is about like some kind of Polish figure. And it's almost more like a radio drama or something. And like has elements of like Polish folk, but then it goes full dark ambient at times and like really atonal, Mm -hmm. really interesting project. Wrong, wrong. I love Polish folk. Wow, this sounds I've never heard of this. Have you great? <laughs> nope. It's wow. real it's pretty obscure stuff. Um they were the label that it's on is called OBA O B U H which is a acronym for something I'm not sure. But they're active mostly in the 90s and there's like two or three other groups that were releasing on this label that are also definitely worth checking out. And I can't even begin to pronounce the names of some of them (laughs) really cool stuff though all right what we got another thing i just found on internet research haven't found any physical stuff yet project called gpu and this is france the tape was called structures and this is just an just badass also um, very early industrial indebted, like SPK information overload unit kind of thing. Almost sounds like um, um, it's got a pretty big Anensophalia vibe as well. This is from 1993 France. All of it's available on YouTube to check out. Um, the record's called Structures Projects GPU. It has a heavy like psyops vibe for some reason. It has this. Uh, hmm. Not sure why, but it has this like threatening atmosphere. Like a like gallery little, shawl shits. Like you're getting you're getting attacked by a sonic weapon or something kind of feel. Very cool. 
So that's awesome. Can't wait to actually find that, if ever. Physically, that is. And then uh, I'm very lucky last week. I have been trying to track this one down for ages. I finally got a copy of Ainsoff 2. Heck yes. yeah. Which is their second album. Their first two were just one and two. Then right around there is when they did their famous record for Necrophile Records, Ars Regia. But that one is just amazing. Um, two side long tracks. It's about an hour of just the best. I mean, they're pretty much one of the premier occult industrial groups. I don't even know if I need to go into it, but it's just top tier, amazing, ritual, industrial, dark ambient. Incredible. Yeah. Ainsoff, absolute favorite around here. And those those early ones have been reissued on CD, I think, through Old Europa. So yeah. if you can track them down. Obviously, finding the original tapes is very difficult. But, man, I mean, Ars Regia got a nice uh, LP reissue. You know, it's been some years now, I guess. But uh, And then Shatria uh, has been reissued as well numerous times. That one might be my favorite, I think. Shatria uh, rips. Yeah, it's that one. So good. I can always always listen to it like it just never oh never not in the mood that's hilarious it's actually right behind me <laughs> <laughs> there you go, yeah. <laughs> yeah. that's funny that's a perfect record final on demand is about to do the necrophile box set that's going to come out any day 10 lps everything ever released on necrophile a book and then three two or three albums that never even came out and we're supposed to an unreleased mcgumner bone uh, and then something else, but yeah, well, wrapping up my recent listening, uh, I've been going back to my roots, like listening to all the stuff that like got me into industrial. I've been in this clock DVA zone when I'm driving to work and I've been kind of trying to check out the stuff that I never really paid attention to, which is their early nineties stuff. Right after Man Amplified, they did a record called Digital Soundtracks. It sounds very innocuous and kind of boring on, on the surface, but I've been like just jamming that album. It's all instrumental and it is just awesome. Just awesome, dark, proto-techno, kind of a continuation of the atmosphere of like Buried Dreams, The Hacker. It's just beautiful. Talk DVA, Digital Soundtracks, 1992. You know, I love buried dreams and i've heard more of the early kind of experimental stuff but i don't know i have not heard <laughs> anything kind of after buried dreams i guess i just you know you you find it like find one and you love it and is it you stick to it or you never see the later ones maybe they were done in smaller runs because they weren't as popular whatever it is and uh so i don't know i don't know this stuff i highly recommend you go check it out and the the records surrounding it there's one right after that called sign it's all really good. It's not like reinventing the wheel or anything, but if you like clock DVA, you're going to dig it. <laughs> awesome. Well, that's it. That's my recent listening. Man. Great list. Great. What about you? Have you been listening to anything in those ears of yours? Well, it's actually funny. One of the things I've been listening to, and I think I, I wrote you about it, Shane, is the Vex Palladium CD on Small Mercies. Oh, absolutely. Which uh, which is you and your wife, yeah? Catherine Falvo, yes. <laughs> and uh, 
excellent stuff. I mean, you know, knowing your interests and the other stuff you've been involved in your solo work, uh, this makes perfect sense, but it's really cool to hear you in collaboration with someone else. Well, who, someone who isn't Jonah, <laughs> I guess, uh, <laughs> That's very, true. very different she is style. One of the only other people that I collaborate with. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, just to reiterate last time I was talking about KNS, it's really like mostly Catherine's record for sure. With yeah. just me doing light embellishment. <laughs> that rules. It's it's a really cool record, and I urge anyone to check it out, of course. Uh, another thing is a, it was a Connolly recommendation, something that I was unfamiliar with, but uh, Moosehead Adventures in yeah. Modern Erotics. And uh, this stuff has a vibe to it, <laughs> for sure. Yes. <laughs> the look is... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so oh, i love it it's so, it it's so up our alley appetizing yeah really uh really kind of sleazy looking stuff and the noise is also sleazy harsh noise somehow yeah. like the it, it the atmosphere does sort of uh permeate and yeah i i'm glad i i checked one out i need to hear a lot more stuff i know there, i know there's so some more good. stuff coming out this year so i'm gonna have to dig a little more into moose head and then forever a soft spot for sleaze. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then I got a great package from Eric Lundy and, and it was the animal mineral self mirror CD amongst, I've been going through some books and stuff he sent me as well. So I've been uh, kind of reading and, and listening to some of this stuff. And this is a lot of uh, crude atmospherics, vocal work, uh, location recordings and, Wow, weird, weird, like, microphone abuse, I guess, is the best way to call it. So, uh, you know, after doing our episode with him, of course, exciting to kind of listen to some stuff that I hadn't been as familiar with and some more uh, newer things. So that one's that one's great. Weird uh, clashing of worlds. After you did your Dan episode, uh, ND Magazine, I stopped into End of an Ear, um, and the first thing I found right in the uh, recent arrivals Eric Lundy, X Jedex original copy. Oh, oh wow! Cool. Awesome. Oh. That's, so that's a double noise extra connection. I love it. Oh, that's great. That is ah. great. What about you, Connelly? What have you been listening to? Honestly, it has been only a day or two since our last episode recording, and our recent listening has been NSI M plays Havoc a record that we are very into now and very excited to discuss and find out about how you came across this record, Shane. So let's just get started with that. Shane, yeah, yeah, yeah. how the hell did you come across this record? All right. So get started at the beginning of how I even found out about it. Um, I used to be pretty involved in the whole um, music sharing blog world back in the mid to late 2000s. I had my own blog. I wouldn't really post a lot of rips or anything like that. I would do a podcast kind of thing where I would just um, make an hour long file every week of all the stuff I found throughout the blogs and make like a little radio program, basically. Mm -hmm. One of the blogs that I kind of became friends with and was posting all the, what I thought was the coolest stuff was Nostalgie de la Boo, run by my friend Tristan Korea. And I just started commenting and going i love this stuff you're posting and he was posting a lot of mid to late 80s french 
post-industrial stuff that like before then like really did not have a wide audience outside of France. Like this was the first time a lot of people were getting a chance to hear stuff like this, like groups like Against Nate, um, NSI, of course, was one of those things that he posted in about 2009. And when he posted it, he doesn't really speak a lot on his uh, posts. He doesn't do a lot of descriptions, but for this particular one, he went, he told a short little paragraph about the record. This was done by a young man who died tragically at 21. Um, there's not a whole lot else known about the record, but it's one of my absolute favorites. Dark, ambient, repetitive, haunting voices. Here it is. So I knew it was something pretty special if he actually said something about it. And of course, I downloaded it. And it was one of the coolest things I had ever heard and immediately became one of my favorite things. Flash forward to 2018 or 2019. Um, it really is not really that remarkable the way I found it. It's just like how I found everything else. It's been sitting in my want list on Discogs for at that point, 10 years, just one morning I clicked refresh and it was there and I was wow. like stunned and immediately hit the button, bought it, came in. And then, uh, every other day was the, the, the next day of the rest of my life. <laughs> I, like, I like, I think I almost, I think I got misty when I, when I opened it up, it was one of those serious moments when I opened it up. But yeah, long story short, this man that like dedicated his life to just sharing his French post-industrial stuff for in Korea is the reason why I ever knew about it. And he interviewed a member of NSI as well. And you actually provided us with that interview. So a lot of the information we're going to be talking about is from this interview. This, this is from your friend, correct? Exactly. It's the same person I was just talking about, Tristan Korea. Did Tristan's book on experimental music in France of the 80s ever come out? It did not. He's actually been working on it for a really long time. Um, right. And it's not done yet. But at some point in the future, we're going to have that, which is going to be incredible. And I do think he's going to offer it in French and English. Great. Very cool. Very cool. Um, that's going to be amazing when it happens. But yeah, it's not that hasn't happened yet. He does run his his focus is more on his net label now. In about 2014 or so, he still runs his blog, but he kind of switched his focus on doing a bandcamp net label, which you guys should definitely check out. It's a really good mixture of like classic industrial artists on there. I think the first release was haters, actually. Oh wow. Oh, cool. <laughs> Great. Um, and then it's it's just great. It's a lot of France focused stuff. But he's been trying for a couple of years of doing a release of this record on for his net label or possibly trying to get interest in a physical release. We actually I did a um a recording, a digital recording of my copy because he doesn't have the facilities to record anymore. Unfortunately, though, almost all copies of the record have pressing uh, imperfections and pops. Uh, well, yeah, because, I mean, this record is so, 
yeah, it, it's it is this project that was predominantly one person, Jean Philippe. Actually, Tara, why don't, please? Why am I doing that? You no, know, you did great, Jean Philippe Charpentier. And then there'd be an, uh, another member who would work with him a lot, and then maybe a, possibly a third as well sometimes. Exactly. Even though on the record itself, there are um, credits to two members that do not exist that he invented and credited. I thought that was amazing. Yeah. Amazing parts. What's funny is that I've loved the record for years and like pretty much all the information I knew about it was just that paragraph that Tristan initially wrote. So I reached out to him just yesterday Um to just shoot him a message like, Hey, I'm going to be talking about NSI. And uh, you're pretty much the only person that I know that could give any more info on it. Then I realized, and I asked him, Hey, could you give me any more info? And then I realized he had sent me that interview like almost a year ago. And it was like in the middle of the pandemic. And I was kind of like, I guess distracted or like maybe like read over it once and forgot about it, which was silly. So then I went, oh, Tristan, I just realized you sent me this whole interview. And the interview is with Terry A. Exactly, who yeah. Is one of the members who's on some of the contracts that we're going to talk about in the extra segment. Yeah, Terry A. grew up with Jean-Philippe and Poitiers in France, and they you know, went to grade school together and then kind of developed an interest in experimental music together. And, and from there, you know, would work on projects, but... Generally, it was Jean-Philippe's equipment and and Terry would record in either Jean-Philippe's basement or in his father's garage or or other places that had really good um, like ambient resonance, good echo. And just to hear that a lot of this isn't like a digital echo on some of the tracks. They just go to places like a quarry or a, a, a vacuous basement. That's so fascinating. Exactly. I loved all the visual elements of the story in the interview of like setting the scene of where they were recording. I loved that. In the interview too, talking about their sort of path to experimental music, I love that it was like Jean-Michel Jarre was like the the first big one. And then uh, Terry and Jean-Philippe kind of split. One of them got really into Klaus Schulze. One of them got really into Tangerine Dream, which those two go hand in hand to me, of course, because Klaus was in Tangerine Dream at a point. Um, but I like the idea of like them getting those records and then sort of discovering that you know they name dropped uh current 93 and throbbing gristle and you can see that lineage in this record like entirely all of it from jean-michel jarre to current 93 and throbbing gristle for whatever they would have been listening to in the mid to late 80s i mean nothing could be more relatable than a bunch of friends getting together and bonding over their musical tastes and cassettes and you know kind of spending their lives together over it what do you think guys i think it's the only (laughs) way to live and yeah, like you said, great. You listen to this record and it's all those mm-hmm. influences are clear but hidden under layers of obscurity and fog and of become room. something totally yeah. its own thing. Sort of a fountain of mist. Yes, mm-hmm. you could say. I love how you you really especially the music opened up for me so much after reading the interview again, you can really clearly hear those influences. Well, not clearly, but you can hear them in there. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And this is something that I had like checked out, you know, 
a cursory checkout when you had recommended it sort of, well, you know, years ago, I think maybe when you got the record or something as I, that was when I got the record when yeah, I made that post. I, yeah. I keep up with the stuff you're posting and talking about because it's always very interesting to me and I never know like 90% of it. And if I do, it's like in soft, something I love. So it's always I remember good. what I said too on the post I wrote, I can die now. <laughs> <laughs> So having checked it out then, but then listening to it now with, yes, this interview and this like extra information that you would not know about this record. And of course, we're going to relay a lot of the important information to you through this episode. Uh, and, and thanks to Tristan and Terry for for doing this and speaking on this. But the the way this record came about and the, the way it sort of exists or has existed since 1989 is such a strange and unique tale of a record anyway. I mean... There's there's like handfuls I feel like of records in the world that are sort of like this where they're 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 lost records they're they they don't exist they were destroyed they were done in whatever size run but none of them really got out or they were lost in the mail and destroyed or lost in a flood and you know no one felt like repressing it whatever it is and this is one of those records so it's got this sort of weird allure to it of like it's very hard to obtain and it was pressed after the person who made it passed away. Uh, like immediately after done as sort of a memorial or a tribute to them. Right. So this is a, this is an interesting, interesting tale for an interesting record. Yeah. And, and it's a, it's a record that wasn't necessarily made as a record yes. or even really ever meant to be, released they they a lot of stuff they did was truly these isolated recordings that were never necessarily meant to see the light of day and i i think in so many a lot of people attempt to do that but it's so knowing that it comes off as well you're trying to do this obscure isolated thing this is the real deal it couldn't get realer <laughs> yeah yeah jean philippe had this album completed, you know, in with his, the track in, titles, with the track titles, with the artwork, you know, prior to his death, and 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 that's what they came across. But but even you know, it seems as though, you know, it, it was because he was compelled to do it, and he was described as a shy person. And I just I love the idea of someone who is just so into experimental music and and exploring all of their limited amounts of equipment and exploring the area and being isolated, but really being entranced by like dark beauty and hazy reality and like the concept of an alter ego. Wasn't, wasn't the art not necessarily for the thing, the release, but it was just art that he had around. So the, the cover itself from what I understand was just stuff that he had made like probably in his room, like collage. Yeah, out of Bible books. Yeah. But the writing itself, which is... Is all him. Which is on the back with the track listing and info, that they took mostly from the cassette itself that was the music for the album was on. Right. So and track titles, notes were all either in the J card or like on the cassette itself. Everything about it looks so personal and homemade. Like there's not, I can't think of another record that looks like this record. It is a really weird style. It really kind of, 
if if I saw it in a record store, I'd think it was maybe like a punk record or a metal record. <laughs> it's so strange. Yeah. And then even the title M plays havoc and then NSI. So it's just, you're getting There's no nothing. information. Yeah. You're just sort of <laughs> no. like, I don't know what There's I'm getting into. Letters. Yeah. And the record was pressed in supposedly an edition of 500. Yeah. Because that's the lowest they could get. So yeah, that was the lowest amount they could get. So they were sitting on a lot of copies. And it was mostly the family who had the copies and possibly gave them out to friends. But really, it's really unknown how many actually exist in any sort of circulation. So Thierry, uh, he was the one responsible for getting it pressed up. He took 50 copies and then the family kept the 450 other copies. And he made it clear that he was pretty sure that they gave a few to friends and the rest are just collecting dust. And whatever copies are circulating around the world, and most certainly my copy, I believe obviously had to have been part of that 50 copies that Thierry had. Um, right. I'm just assuming, though. <laughs> yeah, who knows? The reason this record was done was because... Jean-Philippe had passed away and they wanted to sort of do a memorial or a tribute to him and his creative output and his music, which never really did get like distribution outside of maybe a small cassette network, giving copies to friends and stuff. So it's a very, to me, a very noble idea of like, this is something that he would have wanted or aspired to. So we're going to, we're going to make that an actuality. It's beautiful. I, I love the fact that it was a memorial to him. I love it in every way. And sonically, I mean, this is just, you, you, we, we start off with this clinking glass, low throb, lo-fi, homemade, eerie synth, and you're just, here's the world, now explore for the next 45 minutes. He does and set the it. tone with that first track, for sure. The Factory of Livre Brulee, which is the Factory of the Burned Book. Just more questions with the titles. What yeah, a weird and, title. Yes. And M plays Havoc. The M was referential of M by Fritz Lang. Um, you know, the story of a, a, a basically, again, another interest that we all share, a serial killer marked by the M on the back of his jacket placed there by someone who's trying to track him. And it's wild. I, I didn't even know that until I read the interview again with more detail. I had no idea what M plays havoc meant. And then, I mean, that kind of just led to more, well, okay. M the what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and there's never, aside from this interview, there's never been an explanation for the name either. So yeah. you're just getting, we NSI. would never guess. And so, yeah, there's that, there's that total mystery immediately. And just, it's this, plotting hypnotic quality that goes through the entire thing. Yeah, I, I, I wrote plotting as well because there's this even pace to it. And I, you know, while as we were listening, I was thinking about being 20 and recording. I was not able to be measured and slow uh, and take my time and build an here, atmosphere. Sure. Like, can you imagine like the the way that, you know, he is working this, as a young person still early in the project is just so impressive. 
it's pretty it's a pretty mature sounding record for sure mm -hmm. and it is and it, it's assumed that it was recorded just to a tape deck because they didn't really have any other equipment they said sometimes it would rent a four track but he didn't think that that's what was used on this that really blew my mind reading that yeah. passage <laughs> where he believed that he they weren't using the four track so i guess that means maybe he had a, a little setup with a mixer and obviously a looping situation and he might have just been recording direct left right out into a cassette live which is incredible it's the artist not the equipment you know exactly here's some proof <laughs> the second track low étrange the strange water oh man there's this this is the alone the aloneness of this track, I just, there's this isolation that is incredible in this track. Yeah, I like wrote the, down personal and alone several times in my yeah. notes. Yeah. <laughs> I like the like shimmering kind of high end and then that, that sort of repetitive bass note. But also the name Strange Water comes into play because this is the first, but certainly not only appearance of water sound on the record where there's a lot of water splashing fountain swishing yeah sounds in this record and always kind of in the background and giving some movement and weird sense of of i think unease because you're not sure what is wet or why there's why there's the water it's always kind of off-putting and then there's sort of like this piercing and shifting tone that comes into the piece as well and it just serves to further the alienation of this track. I wrote yeah, down dissonant, but not unpleasant tones. Right, right. At, at first, you, that's what you get. But throughout the track, it, it, it flirts with being more dissonant and starts uh, tingling your ear hairs a little bit towards yeah. the end. That, I love that feedback at the end. That and, feedback is just perfect yeah. when it comes in it's just the right you know it's like having you know sweet and salty at the same time it's exactly, exactly. what you need at that moment from going over <laughs> the top there's a there's a smallness too and i think that's comes from the possibly just recording to a tape deck it, it it's that when that when that synth that sort of heart racing synth comes in it, it's obscure and small it almost has a disco vibe to it the bass line, which is strange. Right. Mm -hmm. um, it ha it sounds at the beginning like you're about to go into a banging, like Chris and Cozy style track almost. Yeah, I think that that's just never happens. Sort of the Jean-Michel Jarre Tangerine Dream influence showing itself there a oh, bit too. Oh, for sure, yeah. I didn't think about that at first. At the end of this track, I wrote down delicate melody embedded. And I thought that it had a goblin-like glockenspiel outro. Yeah, I this, right, like, right, right. I mm -hmm. got this like deep red Claudia Simonetti like yes. thing at the end. Yeah, there's so many primitive bells. They aren't like hand bells. They're they're aged bells. You know, they're like two bells or rusted, found junk bells. Totally. That, I think that, that it's. I think there may be some actual bells in there, mm -hmm. but yeah, like you just said, I feel like most of it sounds like found pieces of metal acting yeah. as bells and stuff. The water is really going to be in the forefront on Le Jardin des Pendus, which is um, 
the hanged garden. And there's also <sighs> these first utterance of vocals. There's these warped electronic vocals. Awesome vocals. <laughs> yeah. I think I said that poorly. It could also be like the yard of the hanged. So it's not like hanging gardens either. It's well, it could be hanging gardens. It could too. be hanging gardens. That too. is a thing. I, when I think when I tried to translate it, it was like garden of hanged men or something. Yeah. Palm do. Yeah. Weird. This is sort of the the wavering void in those like metallic vocals. And there's also like this, this kind of howl that comes in under all of it. And lots of lots of delay actually. This one is sort of the effects become a little more apparent in terms of like the processing on the voice and the processing on the the sort of that that background howl atmosphere. Yeah, and the vocals have that amazing, like, fully wet uh, vocal where it's short delay being, like, very, like, well, medium to moderately slow uh, modulation on it. So it's giving it that up and down feeling, like, queasy feeling. It's pleasant. It's It's dark, but it's incredibly pleasant. I love it. One of the other projects that I was thinking about while listening to this and I don't know if anyone else heard or felt it, but I was I was thinking a lot about a gas. Oh my god, that's oh, yeah. me too. Yes, yes, I wrote well, a gas too. One of the things I wrote down several times is that it's like um, not exactly predicting it. It's kind of at the same era, but I wrote down early CMI vibe everywhere. Well, I- it's almost one of those things where how did this not get on their radar? How did this not, yeah. how was this not reissued on CMI in the early days? It feels very much like it would fit perfectly. It's so CMI. What this record sounds like is what Raison d'Etre's Prospectus One's album cover looks like. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right, 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 right. But yeah, but I mean, especially now when we start getting into the the fourth track, Les Terra- Fontaines de Broom. Yeah, those more hazy fountains. Those I think this might be my haze. favorite. I think this oh, might be my favorite track on dude, the record. Yeah, I mean that that those mournful tones that are layered and interplaying the whispered vocals across the track, just the fog, hypnotic, the perfect darkness of this track. Yeah, it is. This is where you're just like, yeah, wow, this record is. This really might be my favorite else. track. Yeah. I love this, this is track. a really strong track. I wrote down beautiful, sorrowful flute phrase, desperate, lonely, longing, half singing vocals, uh, darkness right around the corner, impending yes. doom. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. No, it's, it, it's got, it's all of that. But also serene in the ex- existentialist nihilist tradition. <laughs> I mean, this is this is definitely my kind of serenity. Yeah. It seems like someone that is is okay with everything falling apart around them. Yeah. Yes. 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 And you know, and that's in the interview, you know, it is discussed that that Jean Philippe did pass away um under circumstances that are more more than likely related to his his drug use and that is said in the you know in the interview and they you know even said they weren't necessarily surprised when they heard the news and not not in a yeah you know, just just they were like that was the life he was leading 
It was more of like a, a huffing chemical sort of thing, mm-hmm. whichever as, as I looked people it know, up can and damage your heart. Yeah. I looked it up because he actually listed the chemical and yeah, that's an extremely gnarly chemical to be breathing in. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so incredibly toxic when you, when you know that going in and knowing that maybe that's some of his frame of mind as well, or that's just the world that he is existing in, you know, it, it does make sense. Because, and, you know, for, and for us, you know, like Gray's kind of said, or at least for Tara and I, the f- hearing this coincided with reading this interview. So we're sort of coming at it with a lot more information than you did Shane the first time or, or, or you did Gray the first time you heard this. Shane, probably for you for the first hundred times you heard this, you didn't have any of this information. Exactly. Well, I did have that initial paragraph, you know, that, which, I knew yeah, that that's all you had, right? I knew that he had passed away. And there was no more info than that. It just said he passed away at 21. So that made me think he's 21. It, it couldn't have been natural causes. And right, I, right. I figured, and especially since, of course, the way the album sounds, I thought this guy was really depressed. Yeah. <laughs> he must have he must have taken his own life. That's what I always assumed wrongly. But I mean, you couldn't. You could say that is what he did, but his choices led there. It's that it is that exactly. Well, exactly. when I was reading about the side effects of inhaling trichloroethylene, it it was like stupor and coma. So really like looking, thinking about that and hearing these sounds, you know, that feeling of when you are losing consciousness, the feeling of barely clinging to consciousness or waking back up. Like if that's, you know, what you're chasing like you truly have that, that numbness, that grayness, that, that feeling of, you know, so many sounds and things in the distance and murk, um, I think really happen on this album. Well, Connolly, you said, uh, aghast in your notes, and this actually reminded me of another act, which is uh, actually also French, uh, different stylistically, but the story also rang to it and, and musically the, the sort of overall depressed and miserable feel of the record and uh, sort of a life gone too soon, which is uh trope tard French band. And that, Oh yeah. Right. Cause that, that was one uh, situation where a band member committed suicide uh, either, like right before, right after the record came out and they just left like an LP and a couple cassettes as their legacy. And that is a dark, miserable, slow echoey record. It's, Coming yeah, more hard f- means too late. Too late. Yeah, yeah. That record is is phenomenal, and it's it's coming from more of a post punk kind of vein, but it is the the closest <laughs> dark closest post punk you could find to dark ambient. I think because it's just so slow and miserable. I love that record. So this that this reminded me of that in the in the how the stories coincide and how the records are just sort of impenetrably dark, and you realize that it's. That's from real life. That's from real experience. And French, they have a particular way of doing dark. That's really incredible. The, the, the haziness and stupor quality, I think is most apparent on the shortest track of the record, a girl at death door, because this track's almost not there. Oh, like it's, it's, so distant it is so everything's down a tunnel yeah to me it's like this track is barely (laughs) Mm -hmm. exists i wrote unhinged 
Yeah, it's just like what it's. But even that flute um, that that is present, or even the flute sound, and knowing that the primary instrument and instrument of Jean Philippe was at one point a flute. Yeah, that gave me uh, more of the throbbing gristle vibes because they would play the the horn as well, and just the sort of strange melody the the sort of backwards sounding drums i'm not sure if like maybe it was they were just recorded in whatever tunnel and then played back in reverse like flip the tape style i definitely wrote that down reverse looping and yeah short track but it it gets the point across quickly and it it definitely sets a a mood of misery and it's the sort of turning point for the record because what we have next is the b-side yes Taken up by mostly a nearly 17 and a half minute piece called La Complainte de Mort Amant, which is the lament of dead lovers. And this whole side, now it is two tracks, but I do feel that they're very related. And this track in the 17 minute mark, wow, what a track! Awesome track. <laughs> Yeah, this is where I was like, okay, these are this like distant echoing junk bells that are slowly being moved around. Like the but the echo is just so vast and so wet and everything's happening just so far away and with such subtlety. But I do feel like in this long track, distances change. Like things begin to approach. Yes. And then they go away again. Uh you get different speeds. Like things start to get fast and your anxiety starts to rise and then, but it never explodes. It's never explosive. Like something gets sinister and then it just backs right off. I love that. I love that it maintains, even though there's changes and new things are introduced, the entire atmosphere maintains. It gives me the feeling of aimless wandering in the countryside. Lost. Yes. Well, it's funny you say that because I've actually been to Poitiers. Poitiers. Oh, wow. What I did in that town was aimlessly wander by myself for an entire day. Wow. And it was the like the sound. I wish I had this in my headphones while I was doing <laughs> that because there's all these ruined castles. Oh. And like, oh and, my God. And, and That's I, really I, weird you said that. I wrote down. Broken down castle in the background. There's, I'm telling you, that's what this town, this town yes. has them. And so I was just walking that's around really by weird. myself. Mike, that's really weird, Mike. Dude, it yeah. is. But hey, but it's like you this were. Is what you, you get were, sonically. You were getting it because yeah. I just wandered around this town by myself for an entire day. For whatever reason, we, we played a show either. The, I think we played a show the night before and we weren't leaving till either later that night or for whatever reason we were there for another day. I don't mm-hmm. remember, but I, it was like, I remember it being an end of a tour thing where it's like, I just want to go off by myself. I don't really, like, I'm, I'm a, I'm in a alone zone. Space. And so I just wandered around this town by myself and just hung out in ruined castles in the town that these guys were from. So you're basically telling me that I just remote viewed Poitiers through this record. You absolutely did. You absolutely did. And this area is famous for their their goat cheeses and Sauvignon Blancs. So it's just this this really countryside area of France. It's about an hour or so outside of Paris. Maybe maybe even a little more. But the atmosphere. So so it makes perfect sense that the atmosphere that of this place that they lived in 
and or live very close to fed into it. It also makes sense that this is an album that's been with you for so long and you were feeling yeah. their atmosphere. It makes it makes total sense. That's wild. So while listening to this, I'm I'm trying to get the sense of space and the especially because of the the reverb used. And I I had to keep reminding myself because as always when I'm hearing something and I love the way it sounds, I, I start dissecting how to make things that sound like that. It's uh, an unfortunate curse, but I was doing it here and I had to keep reminding myself that in the interview, he also says that like they didn't really have a, a reverb unit. The The reverb on a lot of this stuff was real. Like that's why this thing sounds like it's in a tunnel or in a ruined castle or somewhere because it's probably set up and recorded in that exact environment. And this is the reverb you're getting. And there's a depth to it and a, and a, reality or a realness to it a tangible thing to the sound here that you can't emulate with you know like a cool 80s rack reverb unit even when they sound great they don't sound like this no they don't it has a beautiful natural reverb it really does and and this this really long piece like i said i feel that the atmosphere maintains i feel the atmosphere really maintains throughout both the the B-side pieces, but at a certain point in the second half, this piano comes in, oh, that and it's piano. so strange, oh. and there's a dissonance to it, but again, it's not unpleasant, but it's also not expected, and it and it really adds a, a very strange quality to it. Yeah, it gives you just this tension, it's ominous, but but it's also this bittersweetness that, that again, is so satisfying. I, I wrote down for the piano that it was kind of childlike. Playing. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. I, I wrote misplayed piano <laughs> because it is very, uh, doesn't sound like someone who, you know, is versed in how to play the piano. To me, I heard parts in there that seemed like it was someone that was learning how to play piano, like right. someone that knew their way around, but was maybe like goofing off after piano practice and just, fluttering around with their hands yeah, doing your finger studies and all of those things. No, it's, it's a great introduction on the second half of the track. And then you really, the fog just rolls right into the final track, the cursed March and is it rolling in or is it rolling away? I don't know. Are we, are we in the fog? Are we seeing the fog in the distance? I can't tell, but there's just that strange loop that hummed loop walking around cobblestones it's just this great way to end this record that humming like the 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 vocals with the humming and then the echo of that is just it's such an it's again eerie strangeness to it and then even having that that voice and such a, a wet quality i found the whole track just hypnotic it's unsettling yeah and it has a children's rhyme kind of feel to it also yep. I wrote, I don't know why this popped into my head, but I wrote down Blue Jay Way-esque vocal descending, like the Beatles uh, Magical Mystery Tour. Some, yeah. Well, it's got this, this vocal the harmony the to are. it. There's, yeah, they're harmonized. So yeah, it's really, mm -hmm. it is weird. And it's it's such an amazing record and such a strange document. And to think like, it's not on a label. Right. There's no label of video. As we talked, said, like the a former sort of band member and the family issued yeah, the this parents record. financed it. Yeah. And there's no 
there there wasn't even a desire to offer it to labels or to shop it somewhere or to try and get it distributed or to try and selling this thing that, that it's even around is sort of an afterthought to making it, you know, getting it distributed, getting it known. They, they seem to have been very happy to just trade tapes with friends. They appear on a couple compilations, uh, really a couple. Uh, and it seemed to have been very sort of word of mouth, but there is this object. There is this thing made in tribute to this person who obviously cared. Uh, you know, this was his passion. He was 21. And, and if you imagine, you know, when you're young and you get into music and that's all you want to do. And that's all you ever really think about doing up until at 21. And then, and then you're gone. Then that, that was his life's work. And so it's, it's touching. It's special. It's really unique. And it's, a noise record. This is an experimental odyssey here that, that was made. And that's a, I don't know. It's, it's very unusual in every possible way. I feel. I think Tristan like really summed it up nicely with the title of the interview. NSI, a record as memorial. Yes. I think that's absolutely perfect. And you know, when, when deciding you're, you're, Shane's basically always on the hook to do episodes with us. And when we were deciding what to do coming up, I said to Greg, I said, dude, hit up Shane. And I want like something just totally obscure that none of us have ever heard. And boy, you came through. And Shane sent yeah, back yeah, a ten-page yeah, yeah. list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, no, we got with the li- yeah. we got a we got a nice list, and there's going to be more for sure. Yeah, but yeah. there's something about it. this. I'm thrilled to do it. Yeah, there was but something about this. The, the, the title, the strangeness of it. I was like, this is there's something here. And then then once you you know had the interview, it's like, okay, now we this is what we got to do. Yeah, but it's so that touching. wasn't even planned. That was just right. It just happened. <laughs> yeah, but it's touching, and we want to talk about it too because you you know. I think when you lose a friend, especially when they're an artist, like you want to put their work out there. And I'm sure for them as, as a family and friends, like it, it would just be too much. You're too close to that, to shop it around and, and give it to a label and get distribution. So I love that we can talk about this now and really appreciate it. And, you know, send that energy up, up wherever to, to Jean-Philippe and just, you know, show our appreciation of the things that he did. And it, even though he did them alone, um, we're all here together appreciating them now. Absolutely. And this wouldn't be the only NSI material. And we're going to hop over on the Patreon and discuss a handful of comp tracks that NSI provided for a couple really cool comp tapes. So for the regular episode, we're going to say farewell. Thank you so much. And actually, before we do go, Shane, what do you got? You got anything coming up? Anything coming out? Uh, Anything Um, we need to let the people know about? I do have something that's about to come out very soon. I kind of want to keep it a surprise. Oh, that's fine. We don't, you (laughs) know what? I get, how about this? There's a surprise thing coming out in a little bit. Keep your eyes open, everybody. It should be coming out imminently, though. There you go. So let's keep the mystery alive. And now let's go hop over and talk about these really cool and very different contracts. You've been listening to Noise Extra. Noise Extra is brought to you by Chondritic Sound, a home to noise artists for over 17 years. By Verdant Weapons, maker of quality contact microphones and noise devices. And by our Patreon supporters. 
You can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash noise extra, and your support really helps. You can find us on Instagram at noise extra, on the web at noise extra.com, one E in those, and on Twitter at noise extra with three A's at the end. Thank you for listening to us and to noise.